When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Gladwell. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Uh, Doug, how's your offseason yes. going? As if that term actually applies to your life. Uh, well, I'm in the thick of a course, University of Connecticut. So I teach Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I kind of raise the bar a little bit. Uh it's it's uh it's great. I mean, it's I have a lot of fun. So yeah, it's uh it's busy, you know, fighting the snow, the slush, but getting ready. I can feel it. Pitchers and catchers, they're creeping yeah. around the corner. Here we go. So close. Uh, as for me, I just got back from a fantastic week in the Magic Kingdom, Cooperstown, New York, one of my very favorite places on this planet. Yes. Uh, and so this week we're gonna have a Hall of Fame motif running through the whole Starkville show. Um, that includes our trivia question. Really good one. You should definitely stay tuned for this. Uh, plus, Doug's Tales in the Dugout segment. Uh, I can't wait to hear Doug's memories of the three newest Hall of Famers, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton. Their careers all intersected with Doug's career, so that'll be great. Plus... Doug was also a teammate of a guy named Billy Wagner, who happens to mm -hmm. be this week's special guest. And I'll admit, as happy as I was for the three guys who got elected last week, wasn't it impossible not to feel for Billy uh, missing by five votes mm -hmm. in his ninth year on the ballot, Doug? Oh, yeah, man, this guy. Yeah, he just the force. You know, you think about Hall of Fame and you think of dominance in your time period, right? For the best of what you do. And I just see the image of Billy Wagner just being that guy coming out to close out games and the electricity, the velocity, the poise. Um, so, you know, I feel like his time will come, but wow, he was he was just a dominant pitcher. All right, coming up later in the show, as I mentioned, Doug is gonna tell great tales about. Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, Todd Helton in the dugout segment. And those tales are so good. I'm sure that all three of those guys will mention them in their Hall of Fame speech this July. 
So, Doug, what do you say we talk to a guy whose Hall of Fame induction day is coming? Uh, I'm sorry that it won't be this July, but I don't know. In my experience, there's no such thing as a bad time to talk to Billy Wagner, (laughs) a man that the numbers tell us was merely the most dominating left-handed reliever of all time. So, Billy, welcome to Starkville. Appreciate your carving out some time for us. No, it's so great to see you guys. Dougie, it's been forever. Um, yeah, it's always great to talk to you guys. Uh, yeah, likewise. Uh, so let, let, let's start with the election. You missed by five votes, I'm sorry to say. And you, you know what, Billy? If you got 73.8% of the vote in the New Hampshire primary, you know what they'd call that? <laughs> A landslide. <laughs> A Hall of Fame election. It means they're telling you, wait till next year. So how would you describe... Um, your reaction and your emotions to just missing by such a small number of votes? Well, first of all, I, I don't want to downplay it, but, it, you know, because it is such a great opportunity. I mean, and I'm such a historian of the game and, and looking at who's on that list, who's gotten in, um, you know, but, you know, this year was different than, than the year before uh, by, you know, with the expectation it could be this year. And, but, you know, uh, trying to stay as humble as possible and know that, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to get too high and I don't want to get too low either. Um, you know, it was one of those things that was, uh, it it was a little bit more nerve wracking than, uh, you know, years in the past, but uh, I mean, you know, you have a, the NBC nightly news down, they're following you around and waiting on that phone call and, you know, but, but, you know, you know, I, I I'm not going to lie. It was one of probably the most disappointing things that's happened to this far in my career, but it's also, uh, <clears throat> it was one of the, the best teaching moments I could ever have as a coach because I had to sit here and, and take that disappointment and show these kids who are standing there looking at me that, you know, you, you know, you can't rant, you can't rant, you just can't be upset. Sometimes you just got to grin and bear it, move on. And, but uh, you know, uh, it, it by far and away it was uh, it was different than the years past. Uh, look, uh, you know, I'm in the business of telling stories. So <laughs> when there's drama on election day, that's a great thing for people like us who have to talk and write about these elect- elections. But I recognize it's not such a great thing if you're a real person. And you're in the middle of it, and you have to live with the tensions. And I, I'm just curious, like what that part is like, living through election day, living through the days that lead up to it. What did what did you do to deal with that tension and that uncertainty? I jumped into coaching baseball. I really mm-hmm. did. I, you know, uh, you know. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't easy because you know there was a you know a possibility that my life could change in in a lot of ways as far as how people viewed me and um you know so trying to keep a level head and, and know that uh, there was more things important that I needed to take care of and really jump on so I had I um, was really involved in the high school scene and so I was really diving into that but I, I but my you know my kids kept it you know they kept it fairly quiet but they and uh, my wife kept it pretty quiet. And I mean, we had discussions and things like that, but, you know, not, not a lot. It wasn't really out loud. And there was, you know, uh, there was, you know, my friends that uh, 
of, of kids that I coach. Uh, they were here and, and stuff. So, you know, in a lot of ways, it was one of those embarrassing moments where you're sitting here going, you know, um, you really can't come and enjoy it. You can't, I mean, even if I'd have got it, it'd been that weird, awkward enjoyment just because of, I mean, you know, everybody else is planning for this. I couldn't plan for this. I mean, I literally said, I'm going to the baseball field. The, the, I remember John from the Hall of Fame was like, hey, make sure you're by the phone. And I'm like, I just can't do that. And, and But it was a lot because I just couldn't – I didn't know how to handle that disappointment. Being at the field, you know, I, you know, I have a responsibility on things that, you know, when you're in the house, I can't I, – I can, you know, rant and rave in the house. I can't really do that here, and that probably was the best thing. Well, um, look, I'm not you, but I am in the writer's wing of the hall, and I remember waiting for that call, not knowing if I was going to get that call. And, I mean, Billy, I couldn't sleep. I could hardly function. I mean, it's a a lot to try to process. There's a lot of emotion. And how do you make yourself not feel that emotion? How can you not be frustrated, (laughs) angry, uh, all of that. I wasn't as frustrated as I, I, it was more emotional. I, I mean, I had them that emotional time where you sit there and you think, you know, you know, what, what really, what, what is it really? What, what, what's the reason that's really keeping me out? And, you know, uh, because it's really not about me. It's what I can affect down the road. I, I know that as a player, you know, how, how I look at a Dale Murphy who's not in and a Don Mattingly who's not in is, you know, no different than I looked at the Nolan Ryan. But when you say Nolan Ryan, there's a difference in in what is said. And, you know, and I, I mean, I've met enough Hall of Famers and I've played with Hall of Famers and I've helped quite a few of those guys that are in the Hall of Fame into the Hall of Fame. So, I, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, for me, emotion is uh, was something that hit me. And I, I was, I, you know, I want to be in the Hall of Fame. It's There's no question. It's just, you know – trying to control, you know, things that you can't control. It's trying to control a safe. I can't control a safe, but I'm going to get valued on a safe. And so now you're, you're trying to control how people who don't know you talk about you and you can't say anything. And that's a, you know, those are the emotions that you have to control. And I mean, like my, my kids were the best because they're irate. Lord God, thank God they're not on <laughs> saying anything, but I mean, they were not pleased, but I, I mean, you know, I, I feel bad for guys like, uh, Gary Sheffield. And I know that there, there's these ties to, you know, they say to the PEDs and stuff like that, but wow, anybody played against that dude knows it. I mean, that guy was good from start to finish and, you know, and there's just so many things that irregularities that for people that have, have differences in why they're in and why they're not that, you know, you just don't know. I mean, people were telling me last year, Oh, you're a lock to be in the hall of fame. Well, uh, you know, there's always that first guy who doesn't get in that's got 74.9%. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, well Billy, I, I just want to take you back to a conversation we had in the outfield one time at Citizens Bank Bark because I think we were just talking about throwing 100 miles an hour, right? And and I, and I wonder if this sort of connects to, uh, you, know, you know, sort of how you process stuff because – you, you kind of, I remember you saying to me, it's like, well, I didn't try to go out and throw a hundred. You know, it wasn't like I, you know, set my goal, just like a lot of times, you're not saying I'm, I'm playing major league baseball because I want to be in the hall. Mm. 
it, it always seemed like you, you know, didn't take anything for granted. You kind of appreciated the moment. I mean, I remember you helping me change my flat tire in Citizens Bank parking lot in a full suit, right? Crawled out of the car. <laughs> it's a, so you always were sort of like, you know, grounded. Um, so I'm wondering with, you know, how you think about your career and how you kind of evolved into this power pitcher, how that kind of helps you in moments in patience, just how you see the future in the Hall of Fame and beyond. Well, I pray a lot for patience, and God always puts uh, certain things in my path to to teach me how to deal with patience. So, I became a baseball coach, and if that don't teach you patience, nothing will. So, uh, I, I think that I didn't take anything for granted because I had nothing to, you know, uh, everything was icing on the cake. But you know, the greatest part of being a a pitcher or a closer or competitor was, you know competing against the best. And so um, <clears throat> wherever I was, whoever it was, I was facing, that was the fun part of the game. My, you know, the frustrating, I mean, I never understood, you know, I'm, some of my, a lot of my games were not always pretty, you know, you go out there and you maybe walk two guys and give up the base hit and strike out a guy, you know, line drive, get doubles a guy up or something. It's not always pretty, but I always remember that the key part of the game was to win. That was the biggest thing, and I never wanted to put my team in a situation where I wasn't giving my best. And so, I, you know, I never – that's why Velocity never made a big deal. Velocity was God's gift to me to get through a lot of things, but it, my goal at the end of the day was to win. And so if I wasn't winning and if I wasn't getting the win for our team, then, it, you know, it, it, it didn't matter um, what the individual goal was. It was really uh, just – focused on it and that that I think that keeps you humble and I think that keeps you planted and um, you know where I'm from I mean I struck out a guy for the Atlanta Braves when I was in uh, with Houston and my grandfather saw it and I pumped my fist and he called me in the clubhouse and he asked me he goes what are you doing he goes you haven't got more saves than Lee Smith and you got you don't have as many strikeouts as Nolan Ryan till you get that you just need to walk off the field and just shake hands because you're doing what you're supposed to do and so that was how I was raised and stuff like that so but i i mean that was just you know do your job to win i i want to get back to the hall of fame in a, in a minute but i can remember <clears throat> with you about this uh, uh, something very close to this which was you're the first guy i can ever remember where fans in the stands would cheer or boo the radar gun readings. When <laughs> yeah. you hit 100, 101, they'd go wild. And if you hit 99, they'd boom. <laughs> you know, and I was, I wish, and you know what? I can tell you exactly where that happened. And, you know, and this is where immaturity and learning from this was, is, is the greatest thing. Uh, but I remember coming into Philadelphia, my first, you know, I'm first on the mound and I think I, I, I pump a couple hundreds in there and, you know, fans are going wild popping 99 and they're booing, you know, uh, but I remember giving up a home run to Mike Lowell at a hundred mile an hour and not one boo, not one complaint, not anything. I remember sitting there going, what, what just happened? I mean, I was so mad and, and it was so funny, but you know, I don't remember walking out and people going, you suck Wagner or anything. Nobody said anything. They were like, ah, well, it's hundred miles an hour. What are you going to do? So it's like, well, if I keep throwing a hundred, you know, you can't really be criticized, but so much. <laughs> something like that yeah. okay uh, back to the hall of fame um i know there are no guarantees in life but in, in these sorts of elections 
past his normally prologue. And history would tells us would tell us that you're gonna get in. Uh everyone who's ever gotten this close as you are has a plaque in that gallery. Plus, we've had three players get in on the last ballot just since 2017. So we're seeing that there's a 10th year push. And then there's Trevor Hoffman. Um, I don't know if you studied this, but after 2016, Trevor was also about 30 votes away, just like you were this year. And in the next election, what happened? He missed by five votes. It's exactly the same as you. And then the next year he sailed in. So you are right on that path. Um, that, that's my little history lesson. What's your reaction to it? Well, I, I didn't know that because I expect I. You know what I? You know I'll be honest with you. I, I'm pretty shallow when it comes to that. So I honestly thought that Trevor was in. You know, with about seven years left and to to get in, get in. So I, you know, yeah, it was se- it was seven years left. Yeah, that was still when he got close. That's what happened. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, well, I'm glad he didn't have to deal with the the going into the tenth year and and stuff. But I, you know what? Um, it is a it is anomaly that 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 would come up and 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 kind of just work that way and you know I'm fortunate that you know that relievers are not looked at in, in a different way and like, you know Mariano screwed up for everybody I've told Mo that forever that thanks for just screwing up for everybody but I mean <laughs> you know it's I, I'm I mean it's it's a a thankless job until you don't have a Mariano and then you don't have a Trevor and you don't have a John Franco or you know, um, a Kenley Jansen or a Craig Kimbrell. These are thankless positions, you know, until that, that point happens. But, you know, I, I, I'm the biggest thing is I'm happy I'm still on this ballot, but I'm also happy that, you know, guys are getting recognized as relievers. I, you know, I, I know that we talk about character and, and, and all these wonderful things, but, you know, uh, like Frankie Rodriguez, I think when I look at his numbers and just see how awesome he is and, you know, um, you know, I feel bad for a John Franco who, you know, is the epitome of a blue collar guy who goes out there and just, I mean, you know, and I love Johnny and I, I, I hope he never watches this to, to get mad at me, but <laughs> I mean, he literally threw a 45 foot split finger and would get people out. So, I mean, I, I just think there's so much to dominance and to the, what the epitome of the game is. And, you know, I feel, I worry as a high school coach that when you value players only for like their size and they have to have a certain look and a certain air about them to be qualified, that it takes the blue collar guy out of Brooklyn playing stickball that everybody loved watching that, that guy who's five foot eight, that, that you can't play at this level. I think, you know, that's the uh, – <clears throat> those are the concerns for me. But I, but I am happy that Frankie stayed on the ballot. I hope he gets more traction, uh, you know, uh, and, and, I, and I and I think it makes it a little bit easier for the Kimbrels and the Kenley Jensen's who will definitely have their opportunity. Yeah, well, another Billy Wagner story. So uh, playing at Wrigley – uh, facing you, I think you were the Astros. I'm trying to get my timelines right, and you throw like a 39 foot, 100 mile an hour slider that bounced <laughs> by me, right? So I'm like, what in the world happened? Like, so after the game, and this is this is like Billy Wagner, the Billy Wagner like had fun, and I want to marry this to the fact that you also love to close the door. So you throw this slider, 
I'm, I'm coming out of the locker room. You're waiting for me. My opposing team. He's like, hey, man, I'm sorry about that. I got the ball back from the catcher and it was loaded with pine tar. And I heard that it just does all kind of crazy things. So I just wanted to see what would happen. So I just threw it and just to see what happened. And I spiked it, man. So sorry about that. I said, look, man, you throw too hard to experiment. You could do that in the bullpen. <laughs> so, but I, That's funny. I've had umpires hand me a ball and say, hey, what do you, what can you do with this ball right here? And I said, you need to take that ball and put it back because I cannot do anything. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's, I, I, was, I, could, I wasn't good enough to do those things. I, I, I listened to guys who could go out there and do some things on a ball and Man, I just was not good enough to do that. And I mean, I over I would overthink that like no tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I was just curious, like what what kept you able to, you know, be able to switch into like, you know, you were a fun guy, great teammate, but you also had that that switch. I mean, how did you do that to to sort of be successful? Well, when you play with guys like your, yourself, you know, that you know your chances of, are limited to, to, to win, to, to get to the championship, to win a world series. So, you know, I, I'm a big team player. I know that there, there's bountiful places that say that I'm not, but I, I, I truly care about winning because my teammate means a lot. When you win and I won in college and, and things like that, when you win, you're, there's that greatest feeling that you have with your teammates. There's nothing better than having the champagne poured on you. There's nothing better than, talking about years past and you really don't ever talk about the champ, but there's a, there's a, the bond that you get when you win. And so, you know, I think searching for that bond is something that I, when I stepped on the field, you know, being a little, a little bit smaller than most of the guys out there. I mean, when you're facing the giants of Barry Bonds, McGuire and Sosa, you know, you, you can't be warm and fuzzy. I I mean, sometimes you view yourself as a, that 10 foot monster and that, you know, that's, that's what it took to, to go out there and compete against that guy. But uh, truly it was about the win and the, and, and doing what needed to be done to get that win. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You know, Bill, you were talking earlier about what domination looks like. Um, I can tell you that when I'm voting on the Hall of Fame, the first thing I ask myself is, does this player have a claim to historic greatness. And in your case, that was such an easy question to answer. Uh, Among all left-handed pitchers in the live ball era, you have the best ERA, the best strikeout rate, the lowest opponent batting average, and the best whip. So apparently you were pretty good. (laughs) Okay, so At times, I guess. I I mean, yeah, yeah, but I I mean, you look at it, there's no – 
way to understand what that means to, to individuals, right? I mean, gosh, I tell you, there are so many great players that have come through and played that when you when you start to to get to that definition of like you were just describing me, you know, it's so humbling and just, you know, I don't look at those numbers, but it's one of those things when you start looking at that and the, the number I've always been <clears throat> personally always been impressed with for myself is the, the, the batting average against 187. I, I don't care if you, I don't care about the strikeouts. I don't care about if you're hitting 187, <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. I, I don't know what dominance means. And I mean, I, I don't, but those are, the, that is the one number for me because you're not getting on base. You're not doing anything. That's, you know, that, you know, 0.9 whip or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, those are things I think that are what you really look at. I mean, you know, among the, the numbers, I mean, because like guys like, um, the the heavy hitters, you know, you, they have these variables. You can look at the hits, the home runs, the the RBIs. But you know, when you're when you're really looking at pitchers, and you go, well, how you know where does that guy really rank? Because you don't have can't control a win and a loss and a save, but you can control strikeouts and you can control batting average against. And when you you have that type of number against people for 16 years or whatever, it's <clears throat> I don't know what dominance means if that's not dominance. Yeah. So if I was going to sum up why I think some voters had had a hard time voting for you, I think there are two things. One is you said it, Mariano screwed it up for everybody. And then there's a segment of voters that just doesn't believe in voting for any closer except that guy. But the other is obviously, you know, your postseason record. And I know it's a small sample, but you did end your career with an uh -huh. ERA in the postseason of 10.03. And so what I did was I went through all of your postseason appearances, outing by outing. So I think I, I've been able to present some perspective on what those postseason numbers do and don't mean. But I wonder how you look back at those postseasons. Well, I got two stories. Well, the, the you know, I wasn't – I won't say I wasn't very good in, in the uh, postseason. I, I would say I wasn't as dominant in the postseason. I think my first – I think the first outing in, in that I had in the playoffs was in Atlanta. We're getting beat 12 to 2 or 12 to 1. or So I come in and I'm facing whatever. I think I give up two runs. So automatically I'm sitting with a nice warm 18. <laughs> so, so I go out there. <clears throat> And I think my next outing, I'm going out there, and, and my next game is 98 against Padres. Probably had one of the greatest at-bats. I mean, Jim Lairs hits a 12th pitch opposite field, down the line, home run. Yeah. Trevor Hoffman comes in and blows the save. I get the win. So now I'm one and zero with a blown save. <laughs> and so I, all of a sudden I'm sitting there going, holy cow, you know. You know, I'm not thinking about the Hall of Fame. So my other loss comes in against Sotoguchi, who at that point has was O for ever. And I don't <laughs> know if he's even made contact. That was the first pitch I think he might have made contact and got it. So he hits a home run. There were so many things. Like I gave up a home run to Chipper Jones. I broke his bat and it bounced off the top of the wall. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy that at one point was 0 for 12 with 10 punch outs. So there was some weird stuff that liked to happen when I would – when I was playing, but I mean, 
for whatever it was, it was just in the playoffs that weirdness would happen. It would be some crazy stuff. And I'd, I'd go home and shake my hand and be like, how in God's name am I not getting that guy out? And I've done it all year. But, you know, that's what it is. But on the other thing, I did hear a stat that just amazes me, and maybe I'm wrong and maybe you know about it. Uh, Ted Williams hit 200 in the playoffs. Ted Williams hit 200 in the playoffs. Yeah. And he got in the Hall of Fame. How do you do that? Yeah. How do you do that? That's what I left at because, you know, because it, it is a standard. It is it is an easy target to point at. But when you go, hey, he was three for four and save opportunities and he's one and one. And ERA doesn't matter except when it wants to matter. Or when you go and say, you know, I know when I've pitched in games that had, you know, a five run lead and I come out there and give up a run or something. And the commentators, oh, you know, you don't pitch well. Relievers don't pitch well when you don't have a big lead. You don't. There is so many variations of why. I think we can we can speculate on how these things work, but you know, I do think that's the uniqueness, and that's what I love about baseball, and that's why, you know, having opinions about why guys are what they are 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 so awesome. And and, and so you know, I I think I enjoy hearing somebody as much as it, it hurts at times, but. To hear somebody say that, you know what, I don't think Wagner's a Hall of Famer and tell me why. I absolutely have the most respect in the world for those people because, you know, I'm not going to sit there. and I, That's not for me to debate. I think those are the things that is so great about baseball is having the debates. Mm-hmm. Can, can I ask you about one game that you didn't pitch in? I've always wondered about this. Game 7, 2006, NLCS. Uh, Mets Cardinals. I, I'm just wondering how you look back at that game. <clears throat> you never got to play in a World Series. The Mets were one win away, and you never got to pitch. Uh, it sucked. And I tell you, you know, I think the day the game before I came in and held a lead against St. Louis, and uh, I think it was shaky at best. I think it was a four or five run lead. I gave up a run. Uh, <clears throat> and then the next night, you know, we, we, we go out there and it's just dramatic. And we had three innings where we had bases loaded. And it came down to, you know, I think we were, you know, just, you know, I, you know Aaron Heilman had thrown the ball so well at that point. I, I just think, I think Willie was going with the hot hand at that point. I think Willie was going with the hot hand. And I think, you know what? Um, I would much rather have been out there by all means, but I also know that if we if we tied up, I'm probably going out there. If I don't tie, he, that's how he'd used me all year long. So, I, but I, I don't know. You know, it's definitely you know not easy to stomach knowing that that you know you're that close and and you, you didn't get in. Yeah, uh, Billy, I'm just you know wondering about. You know, a lot of things have shifted over the years since we retired and, you know, moved on. Uh, how did you see today's game with, like, all the new rules this past season? And, like, where do you think you fit in that landscape in terms of, you know, this is now also how they're going to evaluate Hall of Fame candidacy with sort of, like, all these new criteria around, you know, whatever it is, base running, pitch clocks, all these things. How did you see the season last year? Well, you know what? There's things I did like. I like the pitch clock. I like, hey, let's get the ball. Let's go to work. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason. You know your strength. And I had a great conversation with Roger Clemens on a golf course talking about this. And he's like, well, I don't need 
25 seconds to figure out what I'm going to throw. I know what I'm competing in. I know what I'm, my, my job is. I think what is the hardest thing for pitchers now is you can't, com- you can't really control space inside to a hitter. Like I can't throw inside to you, double up on you, Doug, because they're probably going to think I'm throwing at you. You know, I can't create that, you know, that, that space for the, the outside corner as much as, and so the guys today, they throw, they're, they're talented. They're way more consistently talented than, than in the past. I mean, you, you, nowadays, every guy comes out of, out of the bullpen throwing a hundred, you know, and, and, and 95 minor sliders and splits and, and they're tremendous. But now the difference is they have to throw in such a, you know, the cube that, that, Man, it, I, when you see a guy that does have put up good numbers in today's game, I think that is such a tremendous thing. I don't think we'll ever see the the 300 wins like we we had before because the game's changed. But um, and the innings are different. But <clears throat> but there's a lot of things. I like the bags being bigger now. I am biased because my son's a player in Triple A now and he's a hitter. And so, you know, going to a game and watching a, a minor league game is so much more fun than sitting there falling asleep in a five hour game. And so now it's, it's, there's a little bit more pitchers throw a lot more strikes. Uh, I think, um, you know, uh, there's, it's more exciting. Um, you know, I, I think there's positives to it. You know, the, I, I, I don't think I would like the, the instant replays or the reviews all the time, because I mean, I'm a hundred percent sure I got a few calls that I don't want being overturned, but uh, <laughs> I, I just think, you know, I, there's some good and there's some bad, but I think it just, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. I think the game is great. I think the players are tremendous. I just, it would be hard for older players to create and, and pitch. I, I think I could be, I could pitch in that, in that era. I just don't think I would be as dominating because I don't think, you know, pitching inside like I like to pitch what would is as accomplished feat now where mostly it's, you know, 90 to 95 percent of the game is pitched middle away with hard sliders. When you're watching a guy throw 105 miles an hour, the next pitch is a 95 mile slider and you're shaking your head. So I think <laughs> that, that that has changed a little bit. But I mean, I still love to watch it. I still watch the games. I love watching uh I've got five or six teams that I, I watch and I enjoy. I mean, I love watching the Phillies play. I love the environment. I love being a fan. My kids go to Philly and watch, uh, go down to Houston, of course. I just think, you know, in some ways it's, you know, it's it, – I, I think it's harder for pitchers. I tell my son, and maybe – and he doesn't like me when I say this, but I said I can't believe that nobody's hit 400 yet. Because you, you have to throw it down the middle now, buddy. There's no – you just have to throw it down the middle. So – yeah, he he doesn't like me when I say that. <laughs> I've, I've often wished there was a Ripley's, believe it or not, a baseball. Because if there was, like your little tail would be chapter one. Okay, mm-hmm. born right-handed, but you threw mm-hmm. a baseball a hundred miles an hour left-handed. <laughs> Billy, how is that humanly possible? <laughs> well, I, I you know I, I do give all the credit to God because I'll be honest with you. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason that a five foot nothing, 100 pounds of nothing would get an opportunity to pitch in the big leagues. Not only, you know, uh, be naturally righty, you know, go out there and you're off arm and pitch. Uh, but I, I mean, it just tells you how blessed I've been and how, you know, um, when it comes down, like we talk about the Hall of Fame and they talk about how many t- attempts and how close I'm getting, you know, the patience and the understanding that I've been blessed my whole life. I just didn't really realize it. And now to be able to sit back and look at all the blessings and know that, uh, 
You know, if it takes 10 times to get in the Hall of Fame, so be it. Um, you should tell people who don't know your story how this all came about because you broke your arm, your right arm, which caused you to learn how to throw left-handed. But well, which version do you want me to take? Because I tell you, the <laughs> ones that I hear now are much better than the ones that I hear. <laughs> I, the, the, the greatest story, I'll tell the real story after this, but the best story that I hear is that I was 19 I was in college. I broke my arm and I just came out and I said, I'm going to pitch left-handed and I did it. I mean, that was just how good I really was. So I'm like, you know, when I yeah. heard that a couple times and I really am like, I should just wing that go with it because that sounds way better. But unfortunately <laughs> it was nothing like that. It was, uh, I, I guess, you know, it, it I love playing football. Football was my favorite sport. Um, I wasn't very big, but everybody around me was. And so I would have this guy named Chip come over and we would play. And I had a hat football and we would play and he fell on me, broke my my right arm. And so I had my cast on, went through the whole cast period. And then after that, uh, it was a couple months later, I'm out on the monkey bars messing around as a kid and fall off, break my, break my right arm again. And oh my uh, goodness, twice. yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, accident prone, maybe. Yeah. And so, um, but I, I mean, I, at that age, I shoot, I broke my collarbone once I broke my collarbone in high school playing football. I mean, uh, it didn't take much longer for me to realize that football probably wasn't the sport for me, but, uh, but the, you know, it was, but I, I think those things you don't realize happen for, for a reason, but I mean, you know, Kenny Rogers once time, he challenged me to throw right-handed in Philly and, uh, he came out and he goes, he goes, I think I got you. He goes, I think I can throw harder than you and further than you right-handed. I went, well, let's see what you got. He stand, we're standing at the batting cage and he throws a ball and he throws it to third base and he's, he's feeling pretty good about himself. Well, I threw it <laughs> in the stands. I came out right-hand, threw it in the stands and he looked at me and said, well, I'm naturally right-handed. And he just, it was so, but I mean, that, that those are the, you know, those are the weird blessings. Yeah. Hey, what, what's the next best thing that you do with your left hand besides throw on? <laughs> Nothing. I can't do anything. I'm left. I could stab myself. I, I mean, I I am useless left-handed. I mean, like I can't do. Let's see. I can't. I can't do anything. I can't write. I can't. Uh, I can't eat. I can't do anything. I mean, you know, drinking is is, is decent, but I mean, it's crazy. I can't uh, do do much left-handed. That is remarkable. But you know, Daryl Kyle was Daryl Kyle was uh, naturally left-handed and pitched right-handed, and so me and him would trade gloves in the Astrodome, and we would play catch. And he could throw, and everybody that faced Daryl knew that he had probably one of the greatest curveballs ever. Well, he would throw. He could throw right-handed. He could throw a left-handed curveball the same way. It was unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, I think there's other guys out there that are weird like me, but man, that was that was pretty that was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, no, like Andrew Jones batting practice lefty. I mean, bombs, bombs. I mean, incredible. Uh, one quick question: Alpaca Farms, man. I remember the alpaca. Is that is that still happening, man, or what's happening? Well, I rode that thing as long as I could. I, I cashed out, made some money, and then. Uh, but I started coaching. I, 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 you know, we enjoyed it. It was pretty neat. It was something that was unusual, but uh, we did it for <laughs> I don't know, maybe eight, ten years, and then I, oh, I wow. retired and. We kind of got out because I started coaching so much. I was like, I'm never home to do anything. So we got out of that just in time because I think the market crashed the next year. And so 
you know, lucky me. But it, it was a neat, it was a neat little thing. I mean, not not many times you get uh, seen. You know, I mean, able to to like uh, deliver an alpaca baby on on TV. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I've I've been able to do a few weird things. Well, can you can you give me like the the top two three things you learned from alpacas or alpaca farm? <laughs> no, I have no idea. Well, they poop and they poop and eat in the same place. It's the weirdest, <laughs> nastiest, most disgusting thing ever. So I mean, yeah, I, I you know, and their fiber is supposed to be this tremendous wool and nice, and it it is, and but it's it's different. <laughs> I mean, they are friendly though. They are friendly for the most part. My kids loved it and stuff like that. It was a great you know, bonding little period. My boys were had none of it, but my daughter and I, she, she liked to do it. She, she raised some, uh, some, uh, little Korea. So it was pretty cool at times, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a little different than, than raising a horse or raising a cow. <laughs> I bet it is. All right. One more, one more thing before we let you go. Um, I want to ask you about what it was like to face the three guys who did get into the hall of fame last week plus one other hitter. So just just give me quick reviews on these guys. Let's uh well, let, let, all right. let's start with uh Adrian Beltre. He was 0 for 6 against you with two strikeouts. Yeah, but he was 19 years old. I don't think he even I mean he was so emotional at that point. I remember him being, you know, he was young so you really didn't know him. He, you knew that he had crazy talent, but he was so emotional. Yeah. and stuff like that at that point. He was not the hitter he he became, or he'd have probably went three for six. But he was completely <laughs> different at that point. I mean, what you watched him evolve into was just – I mean, I tell you, when I watched him, I enjoyed – he's the guy you wanted to play with because there was nothing better than having fun. Him and Miguel Cabrera, him, those two are the two that I was like, man, I would enjoy playing with them because – there was never a tense moment. You never felt uptight. And you could sit there and I mean somebody pulling their jersey out or somebody can I can't imagine having him come up and, and talking, trying to be serious with me during the ninth inning and stuff like that. So I you know, I thought he was neat. I think I don't know if I faced Joe Maurer. Yeah, one one at bat with you were with the Mets, two thousand seven. You struck out a guy who was really hard to strike out. You don't remember mm-hmm. it. Nope. <laughs> Okay. You were unhittable. That's all we need to know. Okay. Well, I mean, I did not know that, but okay. But I do, you know, what's funny. I do. I remember going there with the Braves and I got uh, Joe to sign me a, a Jersey. So, I mean, you couldn't not watch him and root for him. And you, as soon as you spoke to him, you knew you were a fan anyway. He was like, yeah. he was perfect. The perfect politician for baseball. So you're like, man, all right. I know where I sit, but he, yeah, he was, gosh, he was just, you know, it stands out is to be a catcher for really the 10 years to go get the batting titles, you know, an MVP. I, I mean, to do that when catchers just, I know what, I, how I treat catchers. So, I mean, that was <laughs> on top of that. And play, right. You know, he was just so impressive. I, I tell you, I, uh, you know, I, I couldn't be happier for him. Now, my other guy, my buddy, Todd yeah. Hilton. Three for nine. You only struck him at two times. That dude took me deep one time. He grunted. He grunted in Colorado, <laughs> and he ran. and And I used to I'd yell at him. I mean, we are buddies. We are buddies. But he said something to me one time. He would come in. You go into him like in April, and he'd be like, oh, "I suck. I'm not doing well. I'm hitting 120. <laughs> oh, I hate it. Pitcher's curse." And and I would yell at him. I, I oh, I'd yell at him. And he uh, so he uh, he's talking about this and. I come back and 
and uh, the end of the year, you know, and he's hitting 340 and 40 home runs. And I'm like, what, what happened? Well, you know, I made a few shots. Said, Shut up. <laughs> but he was the best. At, you know, he competed. I mean, I, I tell you, there was just something special. I don't care where that guy would have played. He was just such a good competitor, and he he gave no at-bats. There was no free passes at-bats in there. And so, you know, I tell you, for me, I could care less about striking him out. I was just hoping he was going to get himself out. He was just that good of a player that, um, you know, when the, when he – I, I tell you, I've faced a lot of the Hall of Famers, but there's a few that when went like Todd – I would face those guys way more than I would want to face Todd Hill. And he was a total hitter. He could hit. He could get on base. He wasn't afraid to give up, give himself up and get a single and do the little things. That That's what stood out to me about Todd. He was just a phenomenal competitor. Yeah. Okay. One more guy. Do you remember a guy named Doug Glanville? He played <laughs> the National <laughs> League just about the time you were there. And so he went two for 13 against you. Uh, four punch outs. So that's twice as many strikeouts as his. <laughs> What do you remember about Glanville? Easy out? <laughs> he, no, no. Dougie was so fast that you just – all you tried to do is you just didn't – you wanted him to get himself out because he wasn't normally a guy that you struck out. So you didn't go out there saying, all right, I'm going to do it. You really tried to let him get – you You put the ball in play. Get him out. And that's really how I approached it because he would – put. he could put the ball – you just said he, he was <laughs> – he was he was smart enough to know that you could you couldn't take anything for granted because he, he was he could lay down a bond he would he would do all the things that it took to win and so that's what made Dougie so hard to face and so when you got him out you just because he's the type of guy that all of a sudden gets on and, and drives you crazy on the bases and then the guy behind him takes you deep so Dougie was no fun to face. Do right, you want to reminisce about that big yeah. RBI single you got off Billy in two thousand? Desi Relaford in the ninth. Sure, you remember. Was, was that in was that in Houston? Where was that? I don't know. You're supposed okay, to remember. I don't even know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I know I got an infield hit with the Rangers. I hit it down the third base line. Yeah. And the guy, okay. like, yeah, I do remember that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I love the challenge. You know, you see a guy throwing a hundred, and I, I, I always enjoyed that. So that was uh, velocity was good for me. Actually, it was the, it was the wrinkle. I remember pinch hitting off him. I found one back and he, it was almost like, all right, I'm not throwing that again. And then he threw all these sliders and, <laughs> and I was done. Um, but yeah, we, we had a great time and he was so much fun as a teammate. I, I including changing my tire. I appreciate that. I mean, crawled, I had a Range Rover and came back from the trip and the tire was flat and we're in the parking garage and we we're like, Oh, do we call AAA? And before we knew it, Billy was in a suit I think he might even had a vest on and he crawled under the, just the, I, like, I can change the tire. No problem, man. It was like oil and everything. So appreciate you, Billy. Appreciate you very much. <laughs> Anything for you. <laughs> hey, Billy, I know you got to go coach. Uh, we can't tell you how much we appreciate that you took the time to talk about all of this. Pretty sure we'll be seeing you in Cooperstown July of 2025, but mostly thank you. No, thank you guys. It's great to catch up. I, you know, I could do this all day. It's just, you know, one of those odd jobs. But I really appreciate everything. Thank you, guys. All right. It's that time again. It's time for Listener Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. So, Doug, pressure is on us this week, man. Uh, mentioned this in our last show. We're coming off our greatest trivia season in recorded <laughs> Starkville history. 
because we got at least one trivia question right in every calendar month on mm -hmm. which we attempted to trivialize. Okay. Mm -hmm. so yes, we did. This is our, if we're going to keep that streak going, this is our last chance in January. Ooh. I actually think we have a good shot. Well, so. What about you? Are, are you feeling the trivia buzz right now? I'm feeling pretty good. Um, especially operation multiple choice is lurking. So, you know, we seven, it's above the threshold. So when you have seven, that's that's a big number. Yeah. So, you know, we might work that magic, but I feel I feel pretty good. I mean, we should be in good shape. I mean, you you're a Hall of Fame person, so you know uh you should have some inside insight on this. So let's let's roll. Yeah, just for those who maybe haven't listened to this segment, uh, Doug is alluding to the fact that he's about to employ uh, a strategic usage of the Glanville line. Yes, <laughs> borderline cheat. All right. So on that note, uh, let's welcome in this week's special trivia guest star. It is Ben Rivas. Ben, welcome back to Starkville. You, you, you have attempted to stump us before, am I right? <laughs> You're right. Uh, it's good to be back. And uh, whether you get it right or not, it's just happy to be here. So, <laughs> okay. I think, we, I think we used the Glanville cheating scheme to get the last one right. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, I'm very, I'm very familiar with with Operation Multiple Choice. Yes. <laughs> yes. He has, he has the right terminology. Operation okay. Multiple Choice. Okay. So, just so people know, know who you are, just remind everyone where you're from. Uh, what team you root for? The Cardinals. And uh, how you came up with this question? Yeah, I'm from St. Louis. I actually live in L.A. now, but still still Cardinals fan. Um, and I came up with this one. Uh, actually, it's always Cardinals inspired. Uh, I'm just thinking about Yadier Molina a little bit and him retiring. And that's been weird because he's been there the, my whole life. We saw what happened when he was gone for one year. Um, so that's kind of what the inspiration for this question. Yeah. Well, I just spent the, the week in Cooperstown looking up all sorts of fun, historical Hall of Fame tidbits. So I, I do feel like we have an excellent shot at this one. So, Ben, it's that time. It's time for you to hit us with your trivia question. All right. So two members of this year's Hall of Fame class, Joe Maurer and Todd Helton, played their entire career for one franchise. Uh, mm -hmm. Since 2010, there have been seven other one-team Hall of Fame players elected by the writers. Can you name them? Uh, first off, I love this question. I think I actually know the answer to this question, but mm -hmm. you've done this before. You understand seven answers is way above <laughs> Granville line. For how many correct answers Doug thinks <laughs> be required, required to get. So I'll, I'll let you... And Doug, appreciate this now. I'm just going to get out of the way for a minute. See, I'm not. I'm not going to be too tough on this because you know we have a Hall of Fame voter in here. So I feel like I don't want to go World Series structure of four out of seven. So I'm going to go bold, and I'm going to I'm going to request that we go six out of seven. We seven guesses, six right. I think. I mean, you know, we we, we have we have no excuse here. So uh, and it's and it's 2010. So I my memory is better than when I played for those years. Um, so yeah, so I, six out of seven, seven guesses, six. That's what I'm shooting for. All right, what I, do you think? I can tell you, I think I know all seven, but six oh, out okay. of seven, I feel like we have got this. See, when Maurer and Helton both got elected last week, I was writing all about it. I actually researched a tidbit on one team Hall of Famers. Oh, so I mean, I knew four of them off the top of my head. 
Uh, Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter were obviously two. Right. Uh, Jeff Bagwell right. and Biggio were obviously three and four. So Rivera, Jeter, Bagwell, Biggio. And then I went in to that writer's wing in 2019 with Edgar Martinez. So that mm -hmm. gives me five without really yeah. breaking hard, okay? So then there's Chipper. <laughs> okay, that, that's that's clearly six. <clears throat> and mm -hmm. I, Doug, I think that the seventh is Barry Larkin. I'm just a little worried he was before 2010. So look, man, I've already done most of the work, possibly all the work for you. <laughs> but do you think I missed anybody? Um, it's possible Larkin was pre-2010 and I forgot somebody. W what are your thoughts on this one? Um, okay, question. So it, that would be Major League, right? It's not like they were in the minors and then it's all Major League time. Um, and so Bagwell never played. He was a Red Sox or he was somewhere, but he never played he the big leagues. traded before traded. he the big leagues. So I'm assuming okay. that's... Okay, so now what about Junior? What about Junior? Ken no, Griffey Junior went to trade it to the Reds. And oh, yeah, the Reds. Sox and... All right, it's resting him out. Biggio, yeah. Tony Gwynn, where'd he play? Yeah, he, Tony Gwynn only played in one town, but I, he has to be before 2010. Him and Ripken both before 2010. Ripken? Because Ripken, yeah, he was definitely before that. He was the same year as Ripken? Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I I think I have I think I have the sleeper. Wait, do, how many do you have? Larkin. Well, I, gave you, I gave you seven, but possibly one of them is the wrong time frame. Who do you, okay. who do you got? Uh, my sleeper is Alan Trammell because Detroit Tigers, and he was like recent. Yeah. So I don't know what year. Here's the problem. He, did he play for someone else? No, he only okay. played for the Tigers, but he was not elected by the writers. He was Ooh. on a, a a veterans committee that I actually served on, so I could. Oh, attend. so it doesn't count. Oh yeah, he didn't read sleeper. the fine print. Good sleeper, but you should have slept right through it. Ah, uh, that felt so good. So that's all I got. Like, I could have Edgar, yeah, um, right. Chipper. I'm gonna go with that list. I think it's dead on. Okay, so. I, Unless it's we, Alan Trammell. Regardless of the Alan Trammell sleeper glitch, I, I feel like we are in excellent position to crush this. So just to repeat it, Ben, here is our list. We've got Mariano and Jeter, that's two. Bagwell and Biggio is four. Edgar Chipper Barry Larkin is seven. How'd we do? Well, it's uh I didn't think I'd be able to stump a Hall of Fame expert. That's seven out of seven. So, oh, yeah. wow, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, pretty exciting. I, again, I like I just did so much Hall of Fame stuff that <laughs> like it's in my brain, but Doug, look at it this way. We have done it again. One twenty twenty four in the books. How many correct trivia answers? One. Uh one. So, okay, yeah. Yeah, so what do you think? Should we just retire from this now? Have some other kind of segment next week? Well, we retired last year, and then we brought it back. So that's all right. We can, we, you know, we come out of retirement and do what a lot of players do. Okay, so only come out of retirement when we're going to get it right. I like this. Yeah, I like <laughs> it. Uh, anyway, that was fun. Guess what? It's now about to get more fun, and that's because the best part of this segment is coming right up. Uh, as you all know, that's the part of the segment that doesn't involve us at all. So it's time to bring in the mayor of Starkville, 
Tim McMaster to play another epic play-by-play clip involving one of this week's answers. Tim, so many great options for you this week. I can't <laughs> wait to see what you came up with. Yeah. yeah, and before I get to that, uh, credit to Doug because Trammell was a great poll, even though it's not a technically the writer says like that's that could have been yeah, a really yeah. weird like loophole answer to, to throw you guys off. And we even <laughs> covered been... that, even though it wasn't part of the right. answer. So, so I just up, I just knocked off seven answers pretty much off the top of my head, <laughs> and you want to give credit to the <laughs> wrong answer by yep. Doug Land. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I got to keep you guys both built up here. All right, we're going to stick. So I went through the seven guys and, you know, how do you pick a moment, right? They're all Hall of Famers. They all played with one team. But what it came down to against my better judgment was (laughs) the best finish as far as playing in front of that fan base. So we're going back with Derek Jeter. His final game at Yankee Stadium, his final at bat. Here you go. Well, the script is there. The last page is in Derek's hands. Neat deals. Base hit to right field. Here comes Richardson. Here's the throw for Marquez. Richardson is safe. Derek Jeter ends his final game with a walk-off single. Derek Jeter, where fantasy becomes reality. Did you have any doubt? It wasn't his final game because he actually ended up playing at Fenway, I think, over that final weekend. Oh, yeah. he went to Fenway. I don't think he played. Yeah, he went I to... think he had one at bat, and I, I think, think he got, got a, a hit. He got a base hit. Yeah, yeah, he got a base yeah, hit. You're right. Yeah. Um, but but great call with Joe Kelly. By, by Michael Kay. That, Michael that was Kay. a great call. Yeah. Great call. Yeah. Goose bumpy call. I remember I was on baseball tonight when that happened. And it's funny that Michael said the script's right in front of him because we came back and I said, who writes these scripts? <laughs> uh, hey, Ben, we loved your question. Great to talk to you again. Please come back and visit us again in Starkfield real soon, okay? I'd love to. Thanks for having me. That was awesome. Thanks, Thank ben. you, Ben. Appreciate it. All right, thanks. Sliding, catching, and going into the dugout. Spring training. It's just over the horizon, but we're here in the offseason. So that means it is time to do one of our favorite offseason things. Uh, what do you say we go hang out in the dugout where our pal, Doug Glanville, is telling his world-famous baseball stories to literally anyone who will listen? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Doug, since we just elected three Hall of Famers from yes. your generation. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a better topic for this week's trip to the dugout. What do you say? You tell us a quick story from those archives in your head <laughs> about all three of the newest Hall of Famers. You want to start with Adrian Beltre? Let's start with Beltre. You know, the way I thought about this is, you know, what's the question I would ask to sum up how good these guys were? And I think Adrian Beltre and my and combine that with my story of experience with the or against them. Adrian Beltre had asked the question, did he teleport? That's the question <laughs> I would ask. Uh, so when he was younger, Dodgers, I laid down a bunt and he was at third base. And I'm like, I was so confident that I was going to make it to first that I pretty much could have started my turn. I was like, let me just start going to my turn because that's like a double. <laughs> And then I had that Harold Reynolds moment where he looked at Bo Jackson after he threw the ball from the left field fence and threw him out at home and like, what just happened? Where did that come from? And sure enough, I bunted this great bunt and Beltre threw me out of first base by a half a step. 
And it was one of those I had to look at the instant replay, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> I, I was I was taking my turn, and this guy threw me out. And Beltre had that signature, almost like slingshot sidearm throw that you would he was known for, where he could come in and throw across his body and just throw these 95-mile lasers and really defy the speed that you have trying to get to the bag. So that was it for my bunting on Adrian Beltre. I know he played in the American League a lot. But wow, I mean, that was the one time I remember laying a bunt down, absolutely sure I'm going to make it and be thrown out by a half a step. Just ridiculous. You, you and everybody uh, else. All right, what about yes. Joe Maurer? Joe Maurer, I didn't have a ton of, you know, I guess the interleague thing and all that. But I, I know the legend of Joe Maurer revolved around, does he always hit the barrel? That's the question I had. <laughs> this guy just refused to break bats. You could, you know, just always squaring the ball up. And that was sort of a reputational thing that started to kind of spread. I mean, there was rumors that he broke one bat a year. <laughs> he used the same bat for three years. You know, I mean, but this guy, you know, was like that storyline of just good hitter, never giving up at bats, patient, stayed through the ball. It wasn't necessarily about the home run, but he knew he had power, kind of a Tony Gwynn kind of framework. Uh, just amazing. And just to do that from the catching position just takes it to another level. So, uh, you know, Joe Maurer just, you know, it's quiet, executed. And then when you all said and done, you go, man, you're like, that guy was impossible to get out. And that's where Joe Maurer's in the Hall of Fame. Broke one bat a year. Okay. Uh, hey, I love these stories. Uh, you must also have one about Todd Helton. Todd Helton. I have to second what our guest Billy Wagner expressed uh, just absolutely a tough out. But my question for Todd Helton is, was he looking for that pitch? Because every single thing you threw at this guy, he looked like he was on. I mean, I just didn't even understand it. Like fork ball, splitter, curveball, slider. He was always, always in a great hitting position. And as Wagner said, didn't give up a single at bat, but line drive after line drive. But I was always amazed to be, a 2-0 count, and he'd be sitting on a curveball that was on the outer third of the plate and still be able to stay back and drive it the other way. And I'm just like, was he looking for that? You know, just amazing uh, on how much he was in control of an at-bat. Just everything he had hard. He was sitting, it seemed like he was in sitting position all the time. <laughs> just never looked bad. I mean, just remarkable. Just a guy that I just remember every single at-bat. And some of the things he would pull off, the, the the upper deck home runs, just the ability to just turn a game around, uh, just a phenomenal, pure, stone-cold hitter. Mm -hmm. All right, let me tell you my Todd Helton story. Uh, I'm sure you remember, remember this, Doug. I'm sure a lot of people do. I used to appear regularly on the late, great Mike and Mike show on ESPN oh, yeah. with Mike Greenberg and Mike Kolick. And the thing everyone seems to remember about all those segments that I did on that show is not any wit or wisdom that I ever imparted. The only thing they remember is the trivia questions that I asked those guys, which I basically played the role of Billy Wagner and they played the role of all the people swinging and missing. <laughs> so we had a running joke on that show that when they were stumped, they should just answer what Doug Todd Helton, right? Because yeah, uh, it felt like Todd Helton was always the <laughs> forgotten answer to every question, uh, my trivia questions tend to be, you know, how many active players, blah, blah, blah. So this went on for years to the point where 
even if they were stumped on a pitching question, <laughs> Olick would just say, I don't know, Todd Elton. <laughs> you know, so, so Todd was well aware that this was going on, of course. Uh, but then he announced his retirement, and that was going to end an era, two eras, one in Colorado, one in trivia. <laughs> so <laughs> the last week of his career, you know what I convinced him to do? I asked him if he would like to ask the weekly trivia question on Mike and Mike. <laughs> and he did it. So they tee up the question. And instead of me, Todd Helton pops on. He says, hey, Mike and Mike, it's not Jason this week. It's me, Todd Helton. And I got a question about me. <laughs> it was so great. So when I saw Todd last week in Cooperstown, I congratulated him. And I said, we know you are already in the trivia <laughs> <laughs> for sure uh, don't we need to build one of those in starkville a trivia hall of fame oh man you should have had him call in anonymously uh, and and then reveal that he was todd helton oh my gosh <laughs> and let them yeah, get right. it right <laughs> right okay well I, among all the things that i uh would like you to plan for starkville the trivia hall of fame and museum put that on there okay just put it no on doubt. your list yeah, You'll get around to it one of these decades, I'm sure. I will. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic, just like this, all off-season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the amazing hot stove baseball coverage or Hall of Fame baseball coverage in The Athletic, we can tell you how. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe for just $1.99 a month for the next 12 months. But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast because every show we pick some fun listener trivia question. Then that lucky listener gets to join us right here and prove that there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. Uh, not today's, of course, but hence the term almost. almost. Okay, so, so to join us, what would you do? You could always email us at stuckville at theathletic.com, or you can do what Ben Remus did this week. Hit us with your questions via X, the site once known as Twitter. And we have Doug Lanville with us. He was formerly once known as Doug Lanville. Okay. So how would people direct a question at you on X, formerly known as Twitter? Yeah, I just put a little more accent on the G and Doug. That, that's the only difference. So I was formerly known. Uh, but it's the same thing. At spelling the same, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. That's it. Once spelled Doug Lanville and you're still spelled Doug Glanville. It's very helpful to know that. Amazing. I am at Jason S-T. So that's J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Uh, remember to hashtag your questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Billy Wagner for visiting us. Thanks to yes. Ben Remus for the great trivia question, which we nailed. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will see you soon. Oh, uh, Starkville. Starkville.